I love you guys, man. You can go and be seated. You're like, man, what happened to Pastor Aaron? Well, I am Pastor Aaron. Ministry's just aged me a lot over the last week. And so, no, the truth of the matter is, you know, he is on vacation. And I, he and Janelle are on vacation. And I know this guy well enough to know that in all likelihood, he's watching right now. And this is what he's thinking. He's like, Pastor Rick, please don't screw this up, man. I've worked so hard, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so if you guys would do me a favor and you would just kind of yell out like, hey, hey, we got this. Okay, so say that really out for me. Hey, we got this. All right, so you, Pastor Aaron, you just get back to vacation with your wife, man. We're good. You know, if nobody's here next week, I'm sorry. But anyway, it's just going to be, it's going to be good. Uh, man, I'm really honored to be with you guys. You know, we started Cedar Point Church. My daughter Ashley's up here, and I know a lot of you go to church on Sunday mornings here and know me. You may know her, and, uh, but some of you don't, and so you're like, who's, who's this old dude up there? I, I wonder that my question, myself sometimes. But anyway, we started the church coming up on 17 years ago. I grew up in this area, and so I did youth ministry in New Mexico for a number of years, but this was always my home. I, if you've been on Sunday, you're going to hear a lot of the things you've heard before, but if you've never heard me speak, you know, some of this will be new to you. But seriously, when we would come back from New Mexico to visit my family, they were here, that I taught my kids, we, we sang the song, Oklahoma, you know, oh, Oklahoma. I mean, we did that. We sang that song, right, Ashley? I said this, my kids didn't know the Lord's Prayer, but they knew Oklahoma. And so we would sing that song, and then I'm a big OU fan, and I like OSU, okay, but I'm an OU fan, but I despise the Longhorns. And so we wouldn't get gas in Texas. I didn't want to get gas in Texas and support the Longhorns in any way. You're like... Yeah, dude, you're kind of radical. I, I know. And it's, you know, it's, um, anyway, it's just kind of who I am. So, but I, when we came back here and we started Cedar Point, I just, I knew that God had called me here. I believe that I'll finish my race here. That this is where I'm called to be. This is home. And when I was, felt like God was dealing with me, I'd ask him, Lord, can I go back to where I grew up at? I, I love Oklahoma. I love the people in Oklahoma. And one of the things that I knew I wanted us to do was I wanted us to start a recovery program. Just because it was a picture of what I want our church to be. I, I don't want any plastic religion around here. I, I want just real stuff. I want us to show up and it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. We all got our stuff. And anytime that you trust somebody enough to be vulnerable and share your stuff, man, it is an honor. It's not something worthy of being judged. It's something worthy of being loved because somebody would trust you enough to say, hey, this is who I am. And so I wanted that place. And I remember for a few years, you know, it was just kind of always a prayer of mine. And eventually we started one and things were good. Then we went, kind of went through some hard times. And, and just quite honestly, I was kind of discouraged. And I thought, man, you know, we may just pull the plug on this. And then uh, uh, Caleb and Jill, you know, they stepped up along with Jameson and some other people. And they stepped up and they kept it going. Let's give them a hand. And Pastor Aaron was doing kids, and then, and then he came in and just started serving, started giving. It's what he's always done. When he, even when he was, like, dealing with addiction, he would show up at church, sometimes half-lit. And so, you know, he would show up and serve and that kind of thing and just do his thing. But the more he hung out with God and just with God's things, he began to get more and more free and just started serving. Eventually became our children's pastor, started showing up here, and God just placed this on his heart. And, and kind of his passion for kids began to drip, but his passion for here began to come. And then he and Janelle, you know, they showed up and just breathed just even new life and new vision into this thing. And it's grown incredibly, man. Let's give them a hand and just say, man, we're grateful for them. And so all of those people, and I know, you know, you start naming names, like I'm going to leave out folks, like, you know, I should obviously mention the bendabouts. I could just go on and go and on and just mention people that have been a part of just kind of saving this thing. And, and now not only is it saving, it's thriving. It's, it's, you know, it's probably the largest recovery program in the state of Oklahoma. You guys are doing such a great job. And so, yeah, man. So 
I've done this long enough, I hardly ever get nervous, but i got to be real honest with you. I was a little nervous about coming in here because I haven't spoke to you guys in a while. And Pastor Aaron does such a great job that I was like, oh, people show up tonight or they'd be like, who's speaking again? That dude, yeah, I'm not going. And so, and so uh, you know, I, I, I went out and I kind of looked at whose cars were here and, and I'm going to talk about them on Sunday, you know, if they're not here. And so just so you know, or give me lists of names. Oh, I'm just kidding, we won't do that. But I'm just so glad to be with you guys. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes tonight about getting free from captive thoughts. Everybody say captive thoughts. And so we'll look at that in just a minute. If you would, open up your Bibles to, uh, your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you're still learning your way around the Bible and you're like, I don't know where Romans is. Now, I used to be that guy. I didn't know where Romans was. So I'll tell you where it is. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew. And Romans is in the New Testament. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. And Romans was actually a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to some Christians probably around the Rome area. And so Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. I'll say it again. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, Kind of the mystery for a lot of us, I think it was probably even this way for me when I first got saved, is that we give our lives to Jesus. There's this awareness that there's kind of this change in us. But, you know, it's like it's, after a while, we may even do good for a little bit of time, but, but all of a sudden we realize that some of the same appetites that we had, we still deal with those things. The same thoughts that we had, we deal with those things. You're like, why does that take place, Will? Just for a brief moment to understand this, you know, when we give our lives to Jesus, that you and I, man, we live in these bodies, but our bodies are just, they're just kind of a, you know, they're just kind of a building that we live in while we're here, you know, and eventually they wear out. They get old, they rust, they get broken, and sometimes, they, you know, they're no longer fit for use. But, but when we give our lives to Jesus, our bodies aren't made new. And guess what? Our, our minds aren't made new, but our spirit is made new. We're made brand new. Matter of fact, the Bible says this, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature, a new one. Not a, not a you know, refinished one, renovated one, a new one, one that's never existed before. And it says old things are passed away and all things become new. So we give our lives to Jesus and, and he said he put a new heart in us. And so we're changed there. And so we do good for a little while, but all of a sudden, man, these appetites that we've had all of our life, they kind of show up again. And these thoughts, they kind of show up again. And so Paul was talking about this here, and he said, one of the things that we have to do is he said, he said to give our bodies to God because all, of it, all he's done for us, he said, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. So he was talking to a culture that understood sacrifices. They would offer up animal sacrifices on a daily basis. But he said, since Jesus has come, we don't need to do that anymore. But he said, we have to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. In other words, my body is one of those things that I'm like, God, I just want to live with this thing surrendered to you and in submission to you. And he said, it's, it's a living sacrifice, meaning that I have to willingly give it. But because of its living, if, if I don't keep, you know, keep it where it's supposed to be, that at any time it can get up and walk away and do its own thing. 
I've had seasons like that in my life. How many of you could say that too? That, hey, there have been times where my body was no longer a sacrifice. It was kind of running the show. Anybody else in here besides me ever had that happen? Yeah. And then it says, it goes along with this. It says this, that if you really want to, the way to truly worship is don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. In other words, that one of the transformations that takes place is, first of all, we get born again. We get on the inside, we're made new instantly, right with God, instantly, a new creature, instantly. But I got this body with all these appetites that it's used to. And so he said, you got to make that a living sacrifice, just surrendered to the hand of God. But he said, if you want to see real change in your life, you got to transform or change the way that you think. Now, the word that's used in the Greek, the New Testament was written in the Greek, is a word that really equates to the word metamorphosis. And it's such a drastic change that it's similar to the change that you would see between a caterpillar and a butterfly. You know, I remember I was uh, in first or second grade, and our teacher brought in a jar, and she had like a caterpillar in it with a little, you know, a little twig. I'm not fully clear on all the science or how she did it, but she obviously knew what she was doing because it made this cocoon. And I remember just seeing it, how, you know, just kind of, you know, it was, it was kind of fluffy, but it wasn't really pretty or anything like that, and just kind of weird looking and all that stuff. But it went in that cocoon, and after a period of time, when it came back out, it looked completely different. And the wild thing about it is, before it went in there, it couldn't fly. But it came out, it could fly. Now, at any time, it could quit flying and go back and walk like it did before it had wings. It could do the same, some of the same things it did while it was still a caterpillar, but why would it? It was not a caterpillar anymore. It was a butterfly. It was completely changed. And so there's this work that Jesus does in us that begins when we give our lives to him, but it continues throughout our life when we offer up our bodies, and then we begin to try to change the way that we think so that we'll be truly changed and discover what God's plan is for us. And so uh, if you're taking notes, number one is this, is that if you want to get free from captive thoughts, the key to real change is changing the way you think. You say, well, how do I do that? We're going to talk about that for a few minutes tonight. That one of the reasons why we stay in captivity is because of that. And so let me share this verse with you. Point number two, go with me to 2 Corinthians 10. The book right after Romans is 1 Corinthians, and right after that is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. It says this, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Now, he's talking about from a spiritual standpoint. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts. Everybody say rebellious thoughts. And teach him to obey Christ. Like in the King James, it, it uses this phrase right here. It says, we just, it says that, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds. Say strongholds. Strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. And so one of the things that gets in our way after we give our lives to Jesus is this. In your notes it's this. We have strongholds that have to be torn down. In other words, I give my life to Jesus, and yet there's still these strongholds in me. These things that have kind of managed my life as long as I know. Typically, they begin in my childhood. A lot of times, they start with an insecurity, a wound that's taken place into some kind of disappointment. And as a kid, we don't know how to respond to it. We don't know what's going on. We just know that we're hurt, disappointed, feel rejected, abandoned, or whatever it is. And so nobody's taught us. We don't know. And so we're just sit there to kind of deal with it on our own. 
And at some point, this wound, we begin to kind of guard it. I remember when I was 14 years old, and I was, uh, you know, just a kid, and something happened to one of my toenails, man, and I, I got an ingrown toenail. You're like, dude, that is gross and disgusting. I'm sorry, but it's, it's the best story I got. And so who in here has ever gotten an infected, <laughs> an infected ingrown big toe? Anybody ever had that right there? I'm telling you what, it's like the most painful thing. As a man, and you know how we men are, I think it's got to be close to childbirth. I'm just telling you right now. And so... Right, man? How many men? Don't, don't let me hang in here, fellas. Okay, it's getting late. So anyway, so I mean, it was like a horrible thing. And so if it, <laughs> all the ladies up and walk out, that guy's stupid. It's nothing like childbirth. And so, so it was, it's like a horrible thing. And I mean, if I bumped it on something, and this is one thing I didn't realize. I don't realize how many times people bump into your feet and step on them until you have that going on. And it like happened all the time, all the time. And so everywhere I went, man, I'm kind of keeping people away. I'm kind of watching my foot, you know, and just kind of like making sure I don't kick it or anything. It was just so horrible. And that's what kind of like strongholds are is that they get in our mind and all of a sudden we begin to see the world through that, through that thought that's just, and the Bible says that it holds us captive, holds us captive. Now, Again, if you've been on Sunday mornings, you've, you've heard uh, these stories before, but they're good to be repeated, and it's good for me to hear it again. I hope it helps you again. But, you know, every one of us in here, we, you know, we probably have more than one, but we have at least one stronghold that, we're, that we've had to battle. And it doesn't go away peacefully. It has to be torn down. It's like a, it's like a violent thing that it has to be torn down. It's, and he, he referred to it like he compared it to warfare. That it's a battle that's taking place because as long as it's there, it impacts our future and what God wants to do in our world. You know, and so I remember growing up as a kid, you know, and, and uh, my parents, you know, they weren't perfect, but they were good people. You know, they loved me. And I know that's not everybody's story here. But, you know, they, they were by no means rich. They both grew up poor. My dad lost both of his parents when he was 15 years old within a few months of each other. So he spent, you know, from 15 until adulthood just kind of wandering around. He joined the military just because he had nobody that cared for him. My mom, her father had um, tuberculosis. She was in the heart of depression. She had tuberculosis, and so he was sent away to a sanitarium and that, you know, they were just kind of left to fend for themselves, and they, they were poor, and so they didn't have much money. And, and when they worked, you know, they ended up being kind of blue-collar people. My dad worked at a place called Oklahoma Steel Castings, and it was one of those things. When he came, when he got through, he'd get up at 4.30 in the morning. I hate 4.30 in the morning. And so he got up at 4.30 in the morning, and he would go to work, and when he would come out of the plant at the end of the day, he was dirty. If you didn't know better, you would have thought that he was in a coal mine. That's just how dirty he was, just covered with soot, soot and then just dirt, and you worked heat treat and all that kind of stuff. And it didn't matter, days like today, where it's like 190 degrees outside, or, you know, just any day, he just had that. My mom worked for a place that, at that time it was called Fran Filters. It's since become Facet. She did payroll, and so, you know, they just were people that just, all they knew how to do was just work and kind of make life go by, and, and uh, you know, I was blessed that they were my parents, and, and they, they were good to me, but I, I just got to tell you that somewhere along the line, I'm not really sure where, but this thought that I began to struggle with was this, is that I don't belong, and there were just different things in my life that I would look at that other people would feel comfortable being a part of, and every time I would show up to these things, these events, or this, you know, or even friendships, or just any area in my life, that thought would whisper to me, you don't belong. And it was kind of like, along with that, with the rest of that story was, you don't belong because you're not good enough. Or whatever the qualification would be that would put me there. And it's just, some of it was just, when I look back on it, it was just so silly, but it was just so real. 
I remember when I was uh, around 12 or 13 years old that a friend of mine went and played golf. And, you know, the people we hung out with, they weren't golfers. Nobody was inviting them to black tie affairs. I mean, it was just one of those things that we just, you know, and so I never thought of myself as being a golfer. I mean, it was just one of those things that that's, that's them. You know, they're, they're people that have money. We, we don't have money, so we don't, we don't get to do this. And I remember telling my mom, I was just kind of, I was just sharing the story with her about my buddy. It was kind of raised the same way with me, and he went and played golf with somebody, and I thought, that's kind of wild that he, you know, I mean, it was almost kind of like, did nobody tell him that he doesn't belong on a golf course? And so I remember sharing it with her, and she did something, and she has no idea the impact it has on me. And this tells you how old I am, because some of you have no idea what I'm talking about now, but just don't, don't let that twist you. That she went and got this, these things, they're called green stamps. Back then, man, you could buy groceries, they would give you green stamps, and you could redeem it for stuff. And so you're like, I'll have to look that up later. Okay, stay with me. Don't, don't get, like, what's, you're Googling green stamps right now. So anyway, stay with me. And so I remember that she pulls it down and she starts looking through the book for golf clubs. And I'm like, does she not know that we don't, we're not golf people? We, we don't belong on a golf course. And I remember she looked, man, and she put her books together and stuff like that and took me to the redemption store and bought me my first set of golf clubs. And I just remember going in there. And just as a kid, it was almost kind of mysterious to me. I'm like, that whole time I'm there, it just felt like we were doing this for somebody else. It's not for me because I didn't belong. But it was, it was amazing how powerful that moment was in my life. And then I felt this call to the ministry and, and just, you know, began to think about where God would use me and what he would have me do. But I just never... You know, I was kind of limited in how I saw that because I just, you know, again, I, I felt like there were so many things that I didn't belong a part of. And, and I, um, I was going to Bible school, and then I started working for this ministry. I worked in the shipping department, you know, just sending off books and tapes and things like that. And, and I remember um, I was going to a place that uh, I was getting my hair cut. That, back then it was a bigger task than it is now. And so I walked in and this, this lady, that was a, she was the wife of a friend of mine, and next to her was this girl that was like really pretty. And so I, I, I would go in there and I'd put my best game on and kind of talk to her and she like would have nothing to do with me. And so I was pretty relentless and I think eventually she was like, okay, it's either restraining order or date this guy. And actually she, she chose door number two and I was glad about that. But so I remember, you know, she was just, we started dating and I thought, man, she's just really pretty. I, I'm just really attracted to her. But I remember one day, you know, that we started dating and, and we're, you know, we just, you know, had breakfast or something and uh, at a restaurant and this guy comes up and starts talking to her. And there's a guy that was a friend of one of her ex-boyfriends. And I'm just standing there and he begins to talk to her about, yeah, so-and-so, this guy that she used to date, he's asking about you, you know, and he was just thinking about you. He'd really like to get together with you. And I was kind of shy back then, like today, I would have asked him to quit and then beaten him senseless. And so... But, but back then, you know, I mean, just him talking just kind of whistled through my insecurity like she'd rather be with him. Because what's she doing with me anyway, man? She's really pretty. I'm not, you know, I'm not, nobody's ever said, hey, dude, you're really pretty. Nobody's ever said that to me. <laughs> and so I, I'm just sitting there and, and quite honestly, that thought of you don't belong, you're not. You're not good enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not this enough. Even created issues in our marriage the first several years because every time I would think about it, I'm like, 
I have no idea what she's married to. When I, when I was doing youth ministry, I would tell kids like, hey, man, if you serve God, he'll give you a beautiful wife. But then I thought, those girls are probably sitting out there saying, what did she do wrong? You know what I mean? So they, <laughs> and so, you know, it was just one of those things, just kind of thinking about it. And yet this insecurity of, I'm not good enough for her. And it wasn't anything that she did. It wasn't on her. It was solely that stronghold in my mind that I just couldn't shake it. It impacted everything that God wanted to be good to me with. Doors that he wanted to open in my life, lids that he wanted to remove in my life, that every time one of those would happen and I would step through, there was that thought again of, you don't belong. You're not good enough for this. I remember when I first got my full-time job at a church doing youth ministry, and, and I was at one place for a short period of time. I went to another place, and I was there for just a little while, and, and they, we were going to go to a minister's conference. The pastor wanted to take me to a minister's conference, and I didn't, I didn't have any really nice clothes, man. I, we were, I was buying my suits off the bargain rack, and they weren't, you know, anything that anybody was standing in line to get, and they were the cheaper ones, and I had like two coats. One was kind of a thick, woolly one, and the other was a real thin one, and I had no sense of style. My wife was trying to help me, but man, she had her work cut out for her. And so I remember we went to this conference. It was like June or July or something. It was kind of like week like we're having now. And the first day I wore my thin jacket. It was like a three-day conference. And so I went there and I did it. And my shoes were, they were kind of beat up a little bit because I couldn't afford shoes. And again, all these things. And so, but I, I kind of made it through the day. Well, the next day I had, like I said, I had two jackets. So I had to wear my other jacket. And it was the woolly one. And I remember, we, you know, I was sitting there in that conference. And there was kind of a break and this guy comes out. And, you know, he looks like he needs to be on the cover of GQ magazine. He's got his hair slicked back. I hated him already. And so, so he comes up to me and he says, hey, why are you wearing a winter coat in July? And in my mind, I'm like, there's winter coats? I mean, I didn't know. And he said, and your shoes look kind of scuffed up too, man. You're supposed to be in the ministry. And I looked at him. I said, hey, I don't have a winter coat and a summer coat. I got two coats. And the one I wore yesterday, I'll be wearing tomorrow. And, man, I wanted to mess his hair up. I mean, I just really wanted to just <laughs> put him in a headlock. It's kind of, how come your hair's all messed up, huh? How come your hair's all messed up, huh? Here, let me scuff your shoes for you. How's that feel, huh? And so, man, I was angry, and I was trying to put on the kind of like the, you know, the talking to him with my chest kind of thing. I was, I was younger then. And so, you know, yet on the inside, man, that insecurity was yelling at me. It was like, see? You don't belong. You're not good enough. These other guys are ministers. They were raised by professionals. They've been around. Your parents loved you. They didn't know anything. They're just poor folks trying to do the best they can. And that's who you are too. And there's nothing wrong with being poor. But it was just all of those things that the enemy would use trying to disqualify me from everything that God wanted to do in my life. I worked for a guy that was incredibly gracious. And I'll try to show this without getting emotional. And he was... His story as a child was different than me. You know, he was raised, his parents were kind of professionals and stuff like that. And when he heard that story, man, it bothered him to the point, it bothered, it bothered him for me that he ended up, you know, like a month or two later, he took me to a place and he bought me my first nice suit ever. I didn't know what to get. I didn't know what to look for, but he just took me around and, you know, had me try on different things. And then, you know, somebody came in and they, they were measuring me. I'd never had anybody do that. I was kind of like, Hey, be careful we put that tape measure. I don't know what's going on here. And so, and so, you know, you're just doing all that stuff and just kind of putting it together. 
It just did something on the inside of me. But as good as people were to me, it couldn't remove that lie, that stronghold that even when I go through that door, there was still that thought of, you're not, you don't belong here. You're not good enough. What's the lie you're being told that keeps you from the things that God has for you? You know, right here he said this. He said that we have these strongholds, and the battle we fought with them, they're not, they're not carnal weapons. They're spiritual, but, but they have to be torn down. They have to be dealt with. They can't be things that are just easily removed. They, they impact the things in our life. It impacted my marriage. It impacted the, what I thought God wanted to do in me. Every time God wanted to use me, when I thought about things I wanted to be a part of, I thought I can't be a part of that because I don't belong. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not appealing enough. That you know, just none of those things. And, and any criticism was just amplified because it just validated that stronghold in my mind that says, You're, you don't belong. You're not enough. Over and over again. I saw everything in my life through that lens. I filled in the blank for every statement that people made. And any time that things didn't go my way, I just began to assume automatically the reason was it had something to do with this, that I don't belong because I'm not whatever it is enough. And it held me back and it handicapped me. And even the things that I did have, it kept me from enjoying them to the level that I should have because it was such a stronghold in my mind. It was the thought that hung on to me and impacted my behavior. At times, it caused me not to be as kind to people as I should. It caused me not to appreciate my wife as much as I should. And every time that, you know, that she didn't do what I thought she should, my insecurity would yell at me and it would say, well, it's because, you know, that she doesn't love you or she's not attracted to you or she doesn't want to be with you. And so I would, I would get upset and I would respond based upon that thought that would interpret everything, finish every sentence, determine every person's motive and reasons to why they were doing was because of this. And so then it would impact my behavior because this must be true that I'm going to do this. If you don't love me, then, I, you know, why do we even want to stay married? Why do we want to do this? Why is this going to take place? Because I know that I don't belong. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough for you. Impacted my relationships, my dreams. It was a traveling companion. It was an ongoing voice that constantly spoke to me about everything. When opportunities arose or when a challenge was present, whenever I was going to have to deal with a hard situation, that all of it was impacted that way. It cost me. Somewhere along the line, I'd gotten wounded. It created an insecurity in my life, and I saw every door of opportunity through that. So how do we get free? Well, Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 31. He said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. But he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if a truth sets you free, what does a lie do to you? It captures you. A lie holds you in bondage. 
holds you in bondage to your attitude, to your struggles, to your addictions. It holds you captive in all of those things. You're like, why can't I get free? Why, how come I can't free of this addiction? Why can't I get free of this anger? How come I can't get free of this fear of abandonment? Why can't I get free of this, of this sense of not being lovable? All those things. Because somewhere along the line, there became a stronghold in your mind, a lie that's captured you. And because the truth will make you free, a lie will make you unfree. You're captive to it. It tells you everything you can be and who you can't be. It tells you what you're worthy of and what you're not, what you deserve and what you don't, what your life will be like and what it's not. And maybe some of you can relate to my lie because maybe you've had that same lie that you don't belong, you're not good enough, you know who your family is, you know how you were raised, you know what their story is. Maybe others of you were mistreated or had things said over you or done to you when you were young. My wife's story was that at nine years old, she had to sneak out of her house and go tell the neighbors because her alcoholic stepfather was abusing her and her brothers again. We had a different childhood. And so for you, you could be going through all of those things, having all of those issues. You know, maybe for you that, that you know, that the lie is, is that, hey, I'm under pressure now, and so I can't face this unless I go back to that substance, so i got to relapse. Others of you, you've been abandoned, so every time that somebody shows up with love and their heart towards you, your thought is always this, they'll leave too. And so you behave in such a way as if they've already victimized you, as if they've already hurt you, as if they've already disappointed you, as if they've already left you. If somebody that you loved and you trusted hurt you and used you, and then you live with that wound that every time somebody shows up and they're willing to love you and take a chance in a relationship with you again, that that thought of is that I'm unlovable because they showed me and so I'm not going to risk letting this person just validate the thought in my mind. And so we live with this. And this lie constantly holds us captive. The only way you can get free is that when you take the lie that you've latched onto and you replace it with the truth, at that point when you replace it with the truth, that you become free from that lie. And the truth of who you are and who you were made to be can only be found in Jesus. And not just what he's done for us, but how he sees you, what he has for you, what it is that he wants to do in you and through you, who he's created you for, how he could look at somebody that was raised in this home. And again, my folks love me. That may be better than some of your stories. You may, I didn't even have that. And I, man, I get that. I know some people, that's the reality. My parents love me. They have anything. And when I thought about things that other people would do, I never saw myself in that story. But as I continued to walk with him and when my pain would cause me to be angry at somebody or be in unforgiveness or get bitter, or pull back or try to give up, that he would constantly deal with me and not let me just sit and wallow in my rejection, in my brokenness. He would 
challenge me to forgive. He would challenge me to get up and try again. He would challenge me to stand against the lie that was going off in my head that was trying to tell me who I am because it's what I believed my whole life. Lies hold us captive. Truth sets us free. If you've been held captive by certain things in your life for the longest time, it's not God's plan for you. It's not his will. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. When you gave your life to Jesus, your spirit became new on the inside. Your body still has the appetites it has, but really it's just kind of a servant to to the freedom that you walk in or to the lies that hold you captive. It does whatever it's told to. But for, for any of us, one of the reasons why we're captive is because we keep believing that lie that holds on to us and we have to no longer treat it like it's okay like it's just a part of who we are you have to be aggressive in saying I will not let that hold me captive anymore my wife's story is is that she was raised in a home you know that she just recently found out you know who you know who her father is she was raised and went through foster care and my daughter's here, and one of, the, she, one of the things that she says about her mom, which I love it, she said, her, my story's different because my mom stood against those lies that tried to identify who she is and how she was raised. And God's no respecter of persons. If he would do that for her, he'll do it for you. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads. You can go ahead and clap. Go ahead and clap, man. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And for just a moment, I I just, I want you to think about this. What what lie have you held on to? It's not not God, you know, it's not that God has given up on you. That's not why you keep failing or keep falling or keep relapsing or keep messing up, keep doing the same things or keep holding back or just walking this doubt and insecurity. It's not him. And he's not mad at you because of it. He loves you. Jesus is the one that came so you and I could be free from it. And so it's not until we find out the truth about who he's made us to be that we can replace that lie that we've lived for the longest time that's held us captive. And you have to make a decision tonight that from this moment on that you'll be fierce against that lie. And you'll fiercely deal with it with the truth of who Jesus is and who he says you are. You'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. If you're not free, it's because you're not allowing the truth to be a part of your life in that area. If you're here tonight, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life and you want to do that, I want to pray for you. You've never said, Jesus, you're in charge. My life is yours. I believe that you've died on the cross for me, that you were raised from the dead, and I can be forgiven because of you. If you've never made that decision, you want to do that tonight, I want to pray for you. Second of all, if you're here and you say, Rick, I've done that. But honestly, man, I'm not where I need to be with God, and I want to get back to that place. Can I? Absolutely you can. You say, well, how do you know? Because I've been you. I've gotten off track before too. I know what that's like. And I can tell you from experience that he'll restore you because he restored me. So if you want to rededicate your life, I want to pray for you. And then lastly, if you're here and you say, you know, sometimes, 
you know, I struggle with, am I really saved? Am I really his? And I just wish I could just settle that in my heart. Well, I want that for you too. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. So for any one of those three things, whether to give your life to Jesus for the very first time or to rededicate your life to him, or just to leave here knowing that you're his, if that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, just so I know who I'm praying for, just so I'm praying for, if that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand and hold it up there for just a minute? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, who else? Thank you, yeah, thank you guys, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, yeah, thank you, thank you. That's God dealing with you. It's, it's him because he loves you, pursuing you. Even though we're broken, he's pursuing you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for each person that's raised their hand. I thank you, God, that you love them. I thank you that you have a great plan for their life. And Lord, in this moment, if this is our first time, I pray that they would become a new creature in Christ. I pray that they would leave here forgiven, free of shame, free of guilt, free of condemnation. As a child of God, completely yours. Completely yours, brand new. And Father, through rededicating their life, I thank you that in this moment that they'll leave here forgiven. The joy of their salvation will be renewed. And Father, again, they'll leave here no shame, no condemnation, no guilt. They'll just be reminded of whose they are, whose they are. And lastly, Father, for any of those that struggle with, am I really, am I really yours? Am I really saved? I pray that when they leave here, they'll know they're yours, but not because they feel like it, man, because some days I don't feel like it. And not because they always act like it either, because you know I don't always act like it. But they'll leave here knowing they're yours because you said whoever calls on Jesus will be saved. So on the days I don't feel like it and even on the days I don't act like it, I know I'm yours because my confidence is not in how good I am. And it's certainly not in how good I feel. But it's in what Jesus has done for me and what you've promised and that's enough. And so I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now look, man, I prayed for you. We say this on Sunday mornings. If you've been on Sunday, you hear me say this every week, but if you haven't, you've never heard me say this, probably Pastor Aaron says this, and that is that Jesus didn't come so we could have a religion because humanity needed another religion. Jesus came so we could have a relationship with him and with the Father. And in a relationship, you and him talk. I mean, it's good we pray for each other, but you and him talk. So if you raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. And you're not praying to me, you're praying to him. And because I want you to be able to hear yourself pray out loud, and I know that can be intimidating. And difficult, especially if you're like an introvert, it's really hard. But in here, in this community, in this place, you're not in this alone. I'm going to ask everybody to repeat after me so that those of you that raise your hand can pray unashamedly and boldly this to God. Let's all say this. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I surrender my will to your will. I receive you as my Savior now. Thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. And I believe with all my heart that you were raised from the dead so I could be forgiven. I call upon you now and ask you to forgive me and to live in me. And I thank you for forgiving me and saving me and loving me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Isn't that awesome? 
So I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up if you would. Tonight is chip night. Some of you, my hope is, is that you've kind of awakened to whatever your, um, whatever the stronghold is that you're dealing with, whatever lie that's been holding you captive, and that tonight you want to live in the truth of what Jesus said, that you'll know the truth. It'll, when it becomes evident in your life that the truth is there, then you're free. And so when you come up here and grab a chip, it's it, what it literally is, listen to this, it's the end of something and the beginning of something. In other words, that I'm no longer going to live according to this lie, but I'm going to begin to walk in the truth of who Jesus has created me and called me to be, and that's who I'm going to be. So just begin to worship God. If the Holy Spirit nudges you, if God nudges you to come up and get a chip, don't let fear or embarrassment or any of those things that I know we all deal with try to get in the way. You boldly come down here because you say this is the last night that that lie has any captivity or hold me in bondage ever again. From this moment on, I'll walk in the truth. Let's begin to worship God.